0: Hey everyone, it's Aaron. Before we get into today's great chat with the founder of Honeypot Company, I just want to offer a very quick disclaimer that in the course of our very lively conversation, there's more explicit language than usual in the episode. It's still incredibly fascinating and an awesome discussion, and I hope you enjoy listening. Thanks. Welcome to Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful purpose driven companies people and organizations. I'm your host, Aaron Quitkin, broadcasting from my home office in Westchester County, New York. Feminine hygiene may seem like an unlikely entry point to the current conversation around racial, gender, and economic injustice. That's exactly where today's guest, the Honeypot Company founder and CEO, B. Dixon, dives in. Spurred by the belief that feminine care is a human right rather than a luxury, B founded her plant-powered feminine product company in 2014, and has since leveraged this platform to tackle issues like venture capital funding gaps for startups led by Black women, lack of access to care for homeless and low-income women, and general cultural taboos around period talk, to name a few. Her revolutionary approach to feminine health and sexual wellness has been recognized with the 2020 Essence Best in Black Beauty Award, and she received a CEW Indy 65 Award in 2019, Honoring Beauty's Independent Companies. B, welcome to Brand on Purpose.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
0: I didn't screw up that introduction, right? You'd tell me if I did.
1: It was fantastic. Thank you.
0: Awesome. All right, let's start with kind of a larger, more macro question, and then I have like a hundred more. So explain why it's so important to normalize conversations once perhaps considered taboo from feminine hygiene to race and the interplay between the two.
1: Because it took vaginas and penises for us to all be here. So we shouldn't be weird about talking about a vagina when we're all here because of one.
0: Yeah, I totally get that. I don't know much, but that much I know. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Remember, I was the youngest of four, so I learned about the birds and the bees really young.
1: Yeah. Yeah. My
0: siblings are ten, eight, and 6 years older than me, so I feel like I grew up a little too fast. But all kidding aside, so... Especially for men. Why is it difficult to talk about these things? Why? I just don't get it.
1: I think we've been conditioned through a lot of systems, whether it's through religion, whether it's through equality around women's rights, whether it's the list goes on and on. I think one of the biggest reasons why people have such hard time having conversations about things as simple as feminine hygiene and feminine health and words like vagina is because we've been taught that we should be ashamed of bringing that up in a public place because of how we use these body parts when we do certain acts or because of what happens with these body parts. These body parts can have illnesses, (laughs) right? But that's just like every other body part. It's not taboo to talk about cancer. It's not taboo to talk about, I can't even think of any particular illness in this moment because I've been on calls back to back all day.
0: Things like asthma and diabetes and the list goes on. Yeah,
1: These aren't weird things to talk about. Yet most women in their lifetime are going to have a yeast infection. Most women and men are going to have a urinary tract infection. Most women at some point in their life may get bacterial vaginosis. This is just like normal shit. There's nothing that makes a yeast infection anything different than somebody having high blood pressure, other than it's affecting a different part of the body. But it's just a body part that has had an imbalance or a dis-ease, and it needs to be addressed. I feel like there's just been so much conditioning around how we see certain things. It's weird that Viagra can just be put on insurance straight away but then certain states can actually not choose to cover birth control. That's some weird shit. You understand what I'm saying when you think about that?
0: Yeah, and of course it is genderized. I remember the old Bob Dole when he became a spokesperson for Viagra. Like that was a big deal. That was a long time ago. I mean, he's almost 100 now, if not older. I do feel, though, like we are making progress. It's not monumental progress. But even when I think about the issues around mental health, I mean, my mom put me into therapy with a therapist when I was 12. I remember her saying to me, don't tell anybody. I'm like, why? This is 1982. My mom was a Holocaust survivor. She suffered her own trauma. She's got her own issues, and I understand that. But it was then seen as a stigma, and we'll come back to your category as well. But I think about mental health also, something that's highly stigmatized. But we've made a lot of strides. And I think part of it is because we have well-known People who are celebrities who on the outside seem like they have their shit together and everything's great and life is awesome, but they are in pain on the inside and they're finally talking about it.
1: Yeah. I think mental illness or mental stability or however you want to look at it, whether it be depression, whether it be bipolar, whatever it be, whether it be you're just sad, whether it's PMS, whether it's whatever, I think that's another thing that we just need to get in front of and nobody should feel ashamed of it because these things are normal. Anxiousness is normal. Stress is normal. These are disorders that we have been told are a thing, which I think also there's been some conditioning in that. And when you think about the medical industry and the drugs and all the things like that, that's not to say that the shit isn't real because it's absolutely real. But we have to figure out how to create mechanisms for ourselves to get ourselves to happiness and joy, even though there's going to be times where things are going to be bad. You can't have happiness without sadness. You can't have joy without pain.
0: Of course. That's life. And it makes you stronger.
1: It's life. It makes you stronger. But you shouldn't be ashamed to say that you've got a disorder or that you go to to speak to a therapist. I think that that is absolutely amazing. Um, because at least you're conscious and aware that you need to be having these conversations, you know, and that's where most things should start in consciousness and awareness, because then you figure out how you need to move.
0: Well, let's talk about awareness for a second, because your company doesn't just sell products. And I want you to talk a little bit about that and why you started the honeypot, but you're also at the same time creating awareness. Can you talk a little bit about why you started the honeypot? What the inspiration was? What is it that you're selling? What do you do? And what are you trying to overcome?
1: I personally got started in the feminine hygiene business out of some issues that I was having with my own vagina. (laughs) I had an almost year-long bacterial vaginosis infection. It was reoccurring. It would go away and come back. And it was terrible. I didn't understand what was happening with my body. It was like this bacteria almost took over my body. And I just didn't understand what was going on. And every time I thought that I was getting better, I would get my period. And then here would come this infection again. It just put me into a spiral. And I was doing everything. I was on forums. I was going to the doctor. I was putting all kinds of things in my vagina because I was just trying to like get relief, not to just TMI, but.
0: It affects everything, right? It affects your entire life.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm full of TMI. So I don't even know why I said that.
0: My kids tell me I've got a lot of TMI as well. It's all right. <laughs>
1: yeah. But one morning, my grandmother came to me in a dream. What's important to know is my grandmother's been dead since my mother was like eight. So I've never even physically met my grandmother except for that time. She, in the dream, we were sitting down at a round table and she handed me a piece of paper. And she told me that I needed to remember everything that was on the paper. And on the paper, it was just ingredients. It was like coconut oil, vinegar, water, lavender, rose, garlic. It was very simple things. And she just kept repeating that and repeating that and repeating that and repeating that. And then finally she told me to wake up. And when I woke up, I wrote it down and I made it within a couple of days. I went and got all the stuff. And then I started using it. And like four to five days into using it, I noticed that everything that I was going through had went away.
0: And was your doctor like, no way, I can't believe that. Or was your doctor a little bit more enlightened than that?
1: Honestly, I don't even remember going back to the doctor, to be honest. What I had realized is that, and the doctor had never told me this, and that's not to say that I don't go to the doctor because I completely believe in Western, Eastern, African, all kinds of medicine. But my doctor never told me that I had a pH problem. That's really what bacterial vaginosis is. It's a pH problem. If your vagina, if a woman's vagina's pH is above 4.5, then she's susceptible to infection straight away. Any vagina, any woman's vagina that goes above that pH, there's an issue.
0: And that's just how you're built? Just genetic?
1: That's just genetic. It's just genetic because the vagina has its own ecosystem. The chemical that it makes is like it's a version of hydrogen peroxide, and then that's what tells the vagina to make good bacteria. That's where it can make the good bacteria, the lactic acid, the lactobacillus acidophilus. And it needs those chemicals in order for those chemicals to be able to do what they need to do. The pH has to be acidic enough for them to do that because those bacteria excel in an acidic environment.
0: So you created a topical cream now. Is there a wash? It's a wash. Okay. It's a wash. And then is there something as well that you can ingest that would also kind of change your pH? Or is it that two are totally separate?
1: No, the two are separate. And I can't claim that Honey Pot is going to change anybody's pH. But what I can say is that our wash has the same pH structure that your vagina does. So our wash has to every feminine care product has to live in that three and a half to four and a half pH. It has to. But if you're using soap or body wash or something like that, soaps are alkaline in nature. So a lot of women don't necessarily know that they're using a soap that's alkaline. They're using that on their vagina. Their pH is off. They get their period. When they get their period, their pH rises because your blood is alkaline, especially if you're a pretty healthy person. It naturally is supposed to do this. It does this every month. It goes up and it comes back down. But the problem is it doesn't get back to where it's supposed to get to. It's like if your bank account was at zero and then your fucking mortgage came through. <laughs> now you gotta work back a 2000 dollars, seven hundred whatever your mortgage is to try to just get back to zero. It's the same type of a premise. I wasn't really told that. And so I just kept doing what was working for me the wash was working for me. And really what we do and what my goal is to do, my goal is to make these conversations not be weird. We just had a post on Instagram talking about how periods are gender neutral. And people were up in arms in that and like, no, that's not true. Women have periods. And then Christians came out and said what they said and like all kinds of people had things to say and went on Lipstick Alley and all the things. But the fact of the matter is if a woman who was born as a woman, but identifies as being a man and she still has a period, how she chooses to see herself in the world or his self in the world is their choice. That's not my choice. My choice is just to provide you the products that you need, no matter what your choice is, and then also to be there to help you, to support you in how you feel about yourself. I want for women to be able to stand out loud and say, I have fibroids and I'm working to try and heal myself. I have endometriosis and this shit is painful. And I want doctors to like respect that shit. And I don't want them to feel like they have to suffer in silence because these are all normal, regular things. If you've got a yeast infection all the time, if you have has a fishy smell. If you've got AIDS, if you got HIV, if you got hurt, whatever you got going on, you should be able to live out loud with that shit. Not that you got to tell everybody your business, but not be in a place where because you have that, you feel lesser of a human. You're not lesser of a human. You're all normal things.
0: I totally get that. I want to just go back to the point you made earlier about the genderization of products. So I had a guest on a few weeks ago. It was a company called Aunt Flow. I don't know if you're familiar with them.
1: I'm familiar, yeah.
0: Yeah, amazing young woman, dropped out of college, I don't know, her freshman year, started this company against her parents' wishes. And basically what she did was she put, she's like, if toilet paper is available to everybody, so should products like tampons and pads. So she put free vending machines inside of the likes of Google, Princeton, all these major institutions. And one of the things she makes a point of is to not call them feminine hygiene products because feminine, to your point earlier, doesn't necessarily describe everybody. You can be a woman or you can be a woman who identifies as a man or you can be non-binary and you could still get your period. It doesn't mean that you're feminine. I was just curious how you'd react to that because I had thought at first, I don't know what she's talking about. And I thought about it, I'm like, actually, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm just curious what you think about that and the use of the word feminine when it's attached to hygiene products.
1: I'm in complete agreement with that. In fact, my team, we are looking at, we're about to go through a bit of an overhaul with some packaging. We're going to be making changes to our website in the next six months. And we're thinking about all that and not necessarily calling things feminine hygiene. With our wash, we call it a feminine wash now, but is it really a feminine wash or is it a vulva wash? If you have a vulva, then this is your wash. We actually want to be responsible with how we present to the world because our tagline is we make products for humans with vaginas. And our products are made by humans with vaginas. And you don't necessarily have to have a vagina to use our products. I completely agree with her. And I think that that's a really dope stance because it's truth. And people have to decide how they want to show up in the world. And the beautiful shit is that that is their choice. And I want to just support them in whatever choice that they make. Whether it's a person that was a human that was born as a woman, but identifies as a man or a man who was born as a man and has actually gone through the change of getting a vagina and making their body how they want it to be or how they identify with it. I just want to be able to help to educate you on how to take care of it.
0: And one of the things I love about your company, and one of the reasons among many that I wanted you to have you on the show, is because you're focused specifically on natural products, on plant based products, and what you're calling clean cotton. And look, the majority of the quote unquote products and solutions that you find in a grocery store are. Full of chemicals and bad shit. Talk a little bit about your process. And I know it's interesting hearing the story about your dream and your grandma coming to you in a dream, but that was obviously very inspirational. But clearly, being plant based is a core principle behind the company, right? And all of the products.
1: Yeah. I mean, but that's just because that's like a core thing to me in my life. There's nothing that I use on my skin with the exception of maybe a vino lotion sometimes because I have really sensitive skin. Everything that I use, I either make or it's plant-based. And I've been that way for years and years and years and years. That's just in the fiber of my being as a human. My grandmother gave me a plant-based recipe. It would have been weird if I would have taken that and then made it into something that didn't marry with that. I think it's just a natural thing for me personally to do because I just believe in plants. I believe that humans are humans and plants and water and air and earth and all the things. Everybody, Black, white, Asian, Latino, whatever the ethnicities are that humans made up. I believe that every single thing that is organic to and in our planet is connected. And having that belief, that literally means that if I'm going to develop products and put them out into the world, they have to marry that same frame of thought.
0: Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but what's nice also about your background is before this, you came out of the pharmaceutical industry. So you know, from a compliance and regulatory standpoint, what you have to do to bring a product to market.
1: Yes. But the type of pharmacy, I wasn't liking pharmaceutical sales. I was actually a pharmacy technician, and I did that for 10 years, but I did it on all kinds of playing fields. I worked in retail pharmacy. I worked in hospitals. I worked in IV rooms. I worked in chemo labs and narcotic rooms and skin compounding rooms. I did that for a long time. And what that part of my life did for me is it helped me understand the equations around how you put things together. Because we used to make honeypot wash in our kitchen. So, I mean, this shit came from nothing. If we're going to be very real, this company came from a dead person.
0: A beloved family member.
1: A beloved family member, but she's still gone. And if I'm not respecting my ancestor for what she did for me, I would be doing myself a disservice and her.
0: Yeah. This is hard stuff, full, small confession, but a number of years ago, so on the side, I'm like an endurance athlete. So I run a lot, bike a lot, swim a lot. There's like a chafing problem with runners, big time. And they have all these lubes on the market, l- lack of a better expression. I don't know what else to call it. And they suck. They're full of chemicals. They're terrible. So I tried making my own and it wasn't bad, but I realized how hard it is to make your own stuff. And What I ended up making was more like an all-natural deodorant, which could operate as a lube. And I used a lot of coconut oil and beeswax and stuff like that. But I have a lot of respect for this because it's not so simple as just putting a list of stuff together and compounding it and then marketing it. You have to get it right. It's all about the ratios, right? It's so hard. And my wife is making fun of me and I still have like a box of my failed experiments in the garage, which one day I'll go back to.
1: (laughs) I hope that you keep it. I still have my very first batch of wash. I still have it to this day. And the crazy shit is it still smells good. It's still, sure. still good. It's still phones. It's still, I mean, and this is all the way from 2012.
0: Yeah. So you sell online and at retail?
1: Yes. We sell online and then retail. And we're, we're like a couple stores away from being in every major retailer.
0: That's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And it's so hard to do. The retailers are like, it's like the mafia trying to deal with them. And they put a lot of pressure on price.
1: Yeah, they do. But the good thing is, once your brand starts to grow, you get to buy your product for a lesser price. The more you buy, the less you pay. When you start buying how we buy, pennies can matter, nickels can matter, dimes can matter.
0: Yeah. So, back in February, the timing of all this is interesting. This pre COVID, pre resurgence of BLM, you had an ad with Target that drew a bunch of negative backlash accusing the company of being racist to white people, which, by the way, I don't think is possible, but that's like a whole nother discussion for another day. Were you surprised by this reaction and how did you deal with it?
1: I was not surprised by it. Before it went public and we went viral, we were already getting emails. We were already getting weird messages on social media. Target was getting the same thing. We had thought about putting together a statement, but then it was like, you really can't talk to a human. You can't reason with a human that thinks how they're thinking.
0: Especially not online. You can barely do it in person. Online, it's like pushing water uphill. It's just not going to yeah. happen.
1: It's just, yeah. And so it was just like, okay, we'll just die to it, whatever. And then it went to a whole nother level. And even in that, the thing that I feel is grateful, actually, for those people, because, and respectful towards them because they are entitled to their opinion. I don't need people to agree with me because I know that I don't need to be right.
0: Do you think though that ad would have gotten the same type of backlash if it ran in June versus February?
1: I can't say.
0: We'll never know. We'll never know. But I just think the environment, I think in a really good way has changed and requires more change. I was just kind of curious. Why do you think it touched such a nerve the way it did?
1: Because ego is some is some shit, man.
0: Maybe some jealousy as well, potentially.
1: I can't say. I don't even really give a fuck. I don't care about what their thought process is around how they got to their opinion. In the same way that they don't care about the thought process that I had for me to get to my opinion. I don't really care to dig into the details of why they think how they think. They think how they think because they've been conditioned to think that way. I think how I think because I've conditioned myself to think this way. So I don't really need to take that shit on because none of that shit is mine. I have too much to do, man, to be trying to take on shit that I can't control.
0: How was Target in the whole thing?
1: Target was phenomenal.
0: Yeah, I've heard very good things about working at them in general, but especially when it comes to managing through sensitive issues.
1: Target was phenomenal and they are, was, will be amazing. They are one of the best partners. All our retail partners are amazing. Target just has a special place in my heart because since the beginning, they've just taken us on. They took us in when no other retailer wanted to be the first in line they were like, fuck it, let's do it. Let's just see what happens. And, and they put in 1,100 doors like out the bat. Like That doesn't just happen.
0: No, definitely not.
1: That really set the stage for where we are in this moment. Had Target not done that, we would not be in over 20,000 retailers at this moment. We would not be able to tell the story. We would not be able to build the data. We wouldn't be able to do anything. And then The dope thing about that Target commercial is I said that, but Target chose that content. They chose that shit because that was their commercial. That wasn't mine. Of course. We were just the talent in the commercial.
0: You're the actor in the commercial in many ways. Yeah, We
1: were the brand that they chose to be in the commercial. Target is fantastic and they were with us and are with us at every step of the way.
0: Now, is the Honeypot venture funded or self-funded or Both. Both. How hard, I know you've talked about this before and you're pretty public about this. How hard is it for black business owners, especially female black business owners, to raise money?
1: Right now, that shit isn't hard at all because everybody <laughs> wants to raise money.
0: Okay. How hard was it six months ago, a year ago?
1: I mean, look, it's hard. It was hard, but I obviously, because that was in my cards for everything that has happened in my life, for it to happen, If you would have asked me this question a year ago, I would have given you a different answer. I am remarkably grateful for how hard it has been to raise capital, to grow our business, to learn, to fail, to win. I am so grateful for every moment. I would not change a thing. Sure, I've ran into racist investors or investment funds or investment banks or whatever, and where they may not have been racist, but they just said some racist shit. But in my mind, it's better that somebody shows you who they are because I wouldn't want to get in bed with people like that anyway. So while it was hard, I'm grateful for it. And look at where we are now. I don't know how long it's going to last. I hope that this Black business, you know, I hope all the work that Black Lives Matter is doing. I hope all of the work, the public work that a lot of activists are doing I hope that all the banks that are just putting up money for Black businesses, I hope all the press that Black businesses are getting, I hope none of this shit is a trend. It was important for Black-owned businesses to get the shit into the stick in order for us to be in this moment where things are abundant. We're grateful for how abundant things are. But one thing that I want to be made very fucking clear is that Nobody is doing anything remarkable because they're putting up money for black-owned businesses because a lot of press and everybody's wanting to put black people first. That's not no special shit.
0: Yeah. I was on a call earlier with a client. I don't know how active you are on LinkedIn, if you're on LinkedIn a whole lot, but one of the things that's been irritating to me, and I actually might write about it in a Forbes column, but I'm probably going to take a lot of shit for it. You have a lot of companies now, as soon as they're hiring more black people, that's great. But they're also over-indexing on promoting the fact that they're hiring Black people. So you see, like in my scroll, my feed, we're so excited to welcome, put a name in, whatever. And I'm like, you're fucking credentialing. Like, that's so ridiculous. You're overstating it at that point. It's
1: affirmative action at its best. (laughs) You know? (laughs) And it's worse.
0: It just doesn't feel genuine, but it's to your point about... You can't say, okay, I'm done. I did my part just because I either put money into a Black-owned business or I hired a person of color or a Black person. That's not it. So how is it that together we can also then focus on the systems and systemic racism? When you talk about Target, they're obviously more of an avant-garde, kind of a very progressive company. I think that they are the example of a company that's systemically looking at everything they do and they're saying, how can we be better in all aspects of their business? What advice do you have for other businesses, large and small, and what they can do to battle systemic racism?
1: To pay attention and to actually really give a fuck about it. And if you don't, then don't try to act like you don't. You understand what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, just move on. Right. You might as well do nothing. Right. Yeah, right. You,
1: you might get some flack for it. What I personally don't want to be a part of, I don't want to be anybody's fucking charity. I don't want to be the person that's in your statistics of Black-owned brands that you've done X, Y, and Z with. I think that all this talk about inclusivity, equity, diversity, and all those things, they're beautiful. We need to be having these conversations. But I feel like they should just be in the fabric of your being. Sure, you may have gone through and not been very conscious and aware that you may not have ran a very diverse company or your ads were not very diverse. Which communicates something that communicates that that's really not where your fucking head was. And sure, you can change, but make sure that the change is a real change. Don't just jump on this bandwagon trying to put black faces first because you feel like if you don't do that, it's gonna be a press nightmare. It may be a press nightmare, but I feel like you really have to go back and look at your company and look at how you wanna grow. Make sure that you're implementing tools that can actually be executed upon. Don't be reactive on it. Be proactive and build things in slowly so that you can actually put the metrics and the KPIs and all the things behind it so that it's scalable and it's real. Because if it's not real and you're just being reactive and you're just doing it because of the marketing, because if you don't do it, somebody's going to shit on you, it's going to show up. It's going to show up. So you have to make sure that it's real because if it's not, everything that's in the dark, the sun is going to come up in the morning. I think that would be my biggest advice.
0: I've been thinking about this a lot, both personally as well as in my own company and my work world. And I keep coming back to the fact that it's not what you do. You have to understand why you're doing it. And I think we also have to be more active participants. So for me to understand why we're supposed to use the term Latin X, or by POC or understanding pronouns and why they're so important. It does take effort, especially for a person of my age. It takes effort that we need to make in order to understand the why, not just check the box. And if you understand the why, so for me, I was in a training program and I was listening to someone talk about pronouns and the fact that individuals who feel unsafe and want to be referred to based on how they identify, they also have the largest amount of suicide in their community, just like black trans women have the highest rates of violence and suicide. I had the transgender district on a couple of weeks ago. And you have to understand the history and the reason and the why before you act, because then that acting isn't acting anymore. It's meaning. It's why you're doing it. And I think that's really important. So you have to put that time in.
1: You have, because every Alexander Cummings, Mr. Cummings, who I adore, who's like a mentor to me, I don't talk to him all. He's not a person that's, he's not a man of many words, but like when he opens up his mouth, he just says real shit. And what he taught me is that everything communicates. Everything does. Sometimes it's better to say nothing because that communicates. Like I'm not even doing that shit. I'm not even going to go there with you. If you do something and you're doing it out of obligation or you're doing something out of a reaction or you're not doing something, every single thing communicates. So you really have to pay attention to that because if you're not, it's going to... Even those people that thought that I was saying some racist shit, some of those people were on some bullshit. Some of those... Just jumping on a bandwagon, but there were some people that really thought that I was being racist. You understand what I'm saying?
0: I totally do, and that's nuts, yeah,
1: whether it is or not, the fact of the matter is is that everything is going to communicate in a relative way to every person based on their conditioning, their upbringing, the work or lack of work that they're doing for themselves as a human. Everything is the responsibility that they choose to take or not take. Every single thing communicates. So we have to be intentional and responsible as businesses and thought leaders and founders and companies and fucking conglomerates and strategics. We have to be responsible with how we do our business because it's all connected. I'm not a fan of social media. You brought up LinkedIn earlier, I'm not good at that shit because I've never gotten into social media because it's just the conditioning that I have not wanted. I don't want the instant gratification. I don't want to be addicted to an infinite scroll. I'm not here for that. I don't do it. I don't fuck with it. But one of the beautiful things that social media has done is it's given humans a voice that they did not have before.
0: Yeah, except the flip side is there are humans who are in power, such as somebody who runs our country. Who also uses it as a dog whistle for racism. But, you know, I get what you're saying.
1: Yeah, no, for sure.
0: But nothing surprises me since 2016.
1: For sure. But again, bad or good. You can't have one without the other.
0: You just came full circle for the whole show. I have one last very important question because I think it's probably the most important question I'm going to ask you. What was your grandmother's name?
1: Margaret Mullaney.
0: All right. Well, God bless Margaret Mullaney. In Jewish tradition, we always say, may her memory always be a blessing. I'm so glad that she came to you in her dream and didn't just help you, but countless thousands of other women as well, both today and in the future. So I can't thank you enough, B, for coming on the show, telling us your story, being so open. It's not TMI. It's important. And bringing some of these conversations to light. So thank you again. And I wish you all the best of luck. You don't need luck because you're skilled.
1: Ah, thank you. I do need luck, bro. I'll take that. (laughs)
0: You guys take care of yourself. All right, you too. This has been an episode of Brand On Purpose with Aaron Quickkin, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories of entrepreneurs and senior leaders who make it their brand's mission to do well by doing good. Special thanks to our amazing team, including the voice you never hear, producer extraordinaire, Lindsay Hand, and the always on point associate producer, Katrina Walkley, who touches every
1: aspect of this podcast. Learn more about our show at brandonpurpose.com, Follow our Instagram at The Bop Podcast and learn more about our host at AaronQuicken.com.